All right, how many of you smelled the bread when you came in? How many of you smelled bread? All right. We're not having dinner tonight, so don't get excited. The bread that I have in the pulpit goes home with me. All right? So uh, just remember that. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want to speak to you tonight concerning the missing ingredient. Acts chapter 1. Let's stand together, please, as... I read from Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, and I'll read through verse 8. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit of God, we now pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would open our minds and help us to receive the truth of the Word of God. Fill us with thy spirit and with thy presence and use us tonight as we preach your Word. Bless all that are here and we ask your blessings upon these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this afternoon I took a little time And I baked a couple of loaves of bread. And I want you to take a look at these two loaves of bread. There seems to be a distinct difference, doesn't there? What if I were to tell you that both of these breads had the same exact volume of flour and all the other ingredients that went into it? There was, however, a key ingredient that is in one of the breads that is not In the other bread. Anybody have an idea what that ingredient might be? Some of the kids? Yes, sir? Yeast. Very good. Which loaf do you think, Jordan, has the yeast in it? This one over here, right? Yes, these two loaves of bread have all the same ingredients, except the key ingredient to make a successful loaf of bread was not placed into this loaf of bread. Now... This loaf of bread is very light and fluffy, and I'm sure delicious. I'll let you know. I'll tell you Wednesday how delicious it was. This loaf of bread is heavy, dense, doesn't look very nice. I'm looking inside of it right now. It's not a very pretty sight. I'm sure it's not very tasty either. It's a little bit harder, a little bit, a little bit more difficult to deal with. But these are the two loaves of bread came... From identical boxes of mix, just one without the yeast. Now, this, unfortunately, as you look at this, is the condition of many Christians today. Uh, The bread that I baked without the key ingredient is pretty flat. In other words, it's missing both, the, the, the one that's missing the ingredients is both unpleasant to the eye, and I'm pretty sure probably will be unpleasant. To the palate. I won't taste that one. I'll let one of my kids do that. And I'll have them report to you on Wednesday how that bread tastes. 
So many Christians today are missing key ingredients in their life. And therefore, they have a life that is distasteful to the Lord. I quoted this scripture last Wednesday evening. I'll I'll read it again. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Uh, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, this lukewarmness uh, that's mentioned in the Scripture, it may not be evident to our eyes. However, it is always evident to the eyes of the Lord. We cannot hide what we are from God. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, the psalmist writes, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Today, men are trying to find ways to improve their lives by their own devices. Bookstores are filled with self-help solutions to all of life's problems. Uh, I found one site online where you could choose from an assortment of over 700 self-help books. Let me give you some of the subjects. They range from abusive relationships, addictions, anger management, anxiety and panic disorder, bipolar disorder, Body image distortions, that's an interesting one. Depression, eating disorders, uh, narcissistic personality disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, recovery from child abuse, social anxiety, suicide, blended families, communication, death and dying, divorce, family issues, gay and lesbian issues, Grief and bereavement, intimate relationships, men's issues, men's sexual health, parenting, birth to 12 months, parenting, toddlers to preteens, parenting, teenagers, sexuality, women's issues, women's sexual health, career development, creativity, dogs. Yes, a self-built cup on dogs. Fiction writing, health and wellness, journaling, meditation, positive psychology, prosperity consciousness, resilience, self-esteem and assertiveness, spirituality, stress management and relaxation, success and personal effectiveness, tantra, yoga and pilates, uh, saving the earth issues, planet earth, photography and DVDs, animals in the wild, best of nature writing, uh, let's see, whatever this is, eco-criticism, how to write about nature, biodiversity, conflict resolution, conservation, cultural survival of indigenous peoples, ecology, ecological economics and substantiability, uh, eco-psychology, the environmental movement, globalization, global warming, green building and substantial design, nature education, nature spirituality, people in the land, population growth, renewable energy, sustainable uh, agriculture and water resources. I get exhausted just reading the list. We find that even Christian authors today are jumping on this bandwagon, submitting writings drawn from and based upon their own life's experiences and their their personal relationships. 
Now tonight, one might ask, well, what's wrong with self-help books? And my response, of course, would be, we don't need self-help. Because it is self that got us into the problems we have to begin with. We don't need self-help. Now, while I concede that we can definitely learn from and gain help from the life experiences of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we must not fail to focus our attention on the counsel of the Lord. The reason that that loaf of bread on the one side is unacceptable and is a flop is that I did not use all the ingredients called for. I used most of them, but I left out one very key ingredient. And this caused the finished product to be less than it was intended to be. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Lord states, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God tonight desires that you and I have an abundant life. However, most Christians will end up just like this loaf of bread. Because we will fail to include all of the ingredients that God said we must possess. Which Christian do you want to be tonight? Do you want to be this one? Or would you like to be this one? I like this one myself. This is the one I want. Dalton can have this one. In my failed attempt to bake bread, I left out the yeast. Now the yeast is the power. It is that which causes the bread to rise. And in the life of far too many Christians today, something is missing. The first thing I want to say tonight, the first missing ingredient, I'm sure you've already guessed it, is the Holy Spirit of God. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, the Lord states, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Many, if not most, of the fundamental churches of today have removed the Holy Spirit from every aspect of worship and practice. They are afraid to be labeled charismatic. So afraid are they, they have removed this key ingredient from faith and worship. And by removing the Holy Spirit from their worship and practice, they have effectually nullified his work in their life. They have forsaken the source of power God has given us, and whether they choose to admit it or not, they now work in the power and the influence of their own flesh. And this will always lead to a flat and bland worship. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul states, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, 
Receive ye the Spirit by the words of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Notice Paul's words in verse 3. He asks, are ye so foolish? Now, this is just a polite way of saying, are you that stupid? John Gill, in his commentaries, notes it this way. Is it possible you should be so stupid? And do you, or can you, continue to be so? Paul says, you foolish Galatians. You began in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Time tonight would not allow me to expound upon all the works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But allow me to share just a few with you tonight. The Holy Spirit first provides comfort to the saints. In John 14, 26, we read, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. We find comfort in the Holy Spirit of God. Before services this evening, I sat next to Hazel and spoke with her for a moment. And I shared some words of, of encouragement from the Word of God. And you know what she told me? It doesn't really help that much right now, though. She misses her husband. He's with the Lord. But you know, we find comfort in the Holy Spirit. And we find that, that from God. Uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit imparts joy to the saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. This is why the child of God can rejoice even in the midst of great sorrows. It's because the Holy Spirit whom we possess and who possesses us imparts joy to our hearts. Uh, the Holy Spirit thirdly empowers the saints. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord states, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You and I have been called by God to do the impossible. And it is only by the power provided through the Holy Spirit that we can accomplish the things we have been called to do. The Holy Spirit edifies the church. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, we read, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. It is the Holy Spirit that causes us to understand truth. Don't, don't make the mistake of believing that you sit in the pew and one day you finally understand truth from your own intelligence. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches us and edifies the church. The Holy Spirit next testifies of Christ. In John chapter 15 and verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And it is the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit imparts peace to the saints. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit imparts the love of God to the saints of God. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit imparts hope. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The Holy Spirit teaches the saints. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, we read, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now let me ask you, take a look at that list I just gave you. Doesn't this all sound familiar? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. See, the reason, the reason so many churches and so many Christians fail to have a meaningful walk is because they have removed the Holy Spirit from their life. Far too many Christians have left off this crucial ingredient. And in doing so, they strengthen the flesh and weaken the influence of the Holy Spirit on their walk. Paul admonishes us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, where he states, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. What about you tonight? Have you left off this ingredient in your life? Are we living our life in resistance to the Holy Spirit? Tonight, my hope and prayer is that each member of Berean Baptist Church will see the importance of the Holy Spirit in our worship, and in our life. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is our our guide, our friend, our companion. He is a crucial part of every aspect of our life. Tonight, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. We've become a uh, again, we've become as fundamentalists, we've, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Shh, hush. I actually, in, in, in studying on, on preaching and things, was actually told once, don't ever say Holy Ghost. You don't say that. You say the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, but don't ever say the Holy Ghost. Well, the Bible says Holy Ghost. Amen? He's our power. It is the Holy Ghost that influences our heart. It is the Holy Ghost that teaches us how to pray. It is the Holy Ghost that teaches us what to think. The reason so many Christians have a life out of control is because they've pushed out the Holy Spirit. They haven't put that ingredient. And what they have is a lump of dough that's inedible. Instead of having a succulent, delicious-looking loaf of bread. The Holy Spirit. 
In Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul states, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Tonight, may you and I put the yeast into our life. May we put the Holy Spirit into our worship. You know, when we're singing, every now and then Mary Jane will will raise her hands because she's worshiping the Lord. And sometimes uh, Zelda, when Zelda's here, she'll raise her hands in worship. Mr. Andrews at times will raise his hands when he's singing. And, I, you know, I, as a song leader, I'm out here singing. I observe some people are, are, are just, they're made so uncomfortable by the fact that this person has, is worshiping God. Can I tell you something? If you check back in history, Baptist people were raising their hands in worship to God long before the charismatics were. Back when Baptist people had the Holy Spirit in their worship, They were moved and overcome by the Spirit of God in worship and power. Back when the Baptist movement, back when the Baptist churches had the right teachings, people were moved by the Holy Spirit. What about us today? What about you as you sit in the pew? Do you you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart and move you and fill you and cause your life to change. The missing ingredient of the Holy Spirit. But there's another ingredient that's missing in the lives of many Christians tonight. And number two, that is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, as with most scriptural truth, the neo-fundamentalist has a very shallow definition of fellowship. This fellowship mentioned in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3 is far more than casual interaction. This, this fellowship discussed in, by John is literally an intimate familiarity, an intimate fellowship. And when we properly apply this admonition to fellowship with God, it becomes very important to the heart of the believer. My wife tonight. I do not just want a casual relationship with my wife. I want intimate relationship, one based upon familiarity. I I don't want to be a man who thinks that my wife exists simply to meet my needs. I've known men like that who believe that their wife is there just to to take care of them, to, to do the laundry, to cook meals, to wash their socks. To shine their shoes. My wife doesn't exist as a matter of convenience for me. We have a meaningful and an intimate relationship. 
my children tonight. I, I desire to have more than a passing interest in my children. Now, I'm sure at times they wish that I would just have a passive interest in their lives. I said this morning, this whole thing is a work in progress. I don't care if they're 50. If I'm still alive when they're 50, I'm going to stick my nose in their business. Because they're my children. I'm their father. And, and, and I have more than just a passing interest in them. I have an intimate relationship with my children. Without this fellowship, without this intimate relationship, our family would be meaningless. And without an intimate relationship with God, our Christian life will be empty. It will be barren. It will be fruitless. We will become more vulnerable to loving the things of this world above the things of God. Why are so many of our young people today enraptured by the world? I'll tell you why. It's because they don't have a relationship with God. Oh, they, they might be saved, and you might get them in church, but they don't have a real, meaningful, intimate relationship with God. I was so thrilled this year, the end of the school year. A couple of students came to me and said they wanted to take a stand for the Lord, and they wanted, they wanted their life to mean something for God. One day, it was uh, the lunch hour was over, and the students came into the class, and I noticed about five or six students were missing. And I began to inquire as to where they were. And so I stepped out of the class, and I looked around, and I walked out the door over here, and I looked, and there on the grass was a, a group of, of students sitting there, reading their Bibles and praying. I tell you, my heart almost leapt out of my chest. They were fellowshipping with their God. What a blessing. What, a, what, what, a, what an encouragement. I, I couldn't wait. I, I went over to the pastor's office and I, went in the, I came in there. I shut the door. I said, you never guess what I just found some students doing. He said, oh, God, what? I said, I just found a group of students sitting outside in a circle, reading their Bibles and praying. We can't have that here. Oh, what a, what a blessing. You know, the reason so many young people are tangled up in the world is because they don't have a relationship with God. They don't fellowship with God. And the reason so many of them don't fellowship with God is that we, their parents, are not teaching them how to fellowship with God. And the reason we're not teaching them how to fellowship with God is because we're not fellowshipping with God. We've left out this ingredient. We've left it out of our lives. We live in a society driven by lust, greed, and sexual promiscuity. And despite what we may think, as believers, it is possible for us to end up in this cesspool we call the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul states, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. 
These all once labored alongside Paul, but now have forsaken him and have embraced this world. And we must remember that we cannot have fellowship with God while we embrace the world. James warns us in James chapter 4 and verse 4. He states, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We must choose. We cannot have it both ways. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, the Lord states, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So assuming that we desire to have an intimate relationship with God, what must we do to improve our fellowship? Let me share some thoughts with you tonight and we'll be done. First, number one, we need to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the great privilege we have as God's children, the privilege of prayer. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In just 12 days, my family and I will travel to Louisiana to visit our family. When I arrive, I will have the privilege of speaking with all members of our family. I will be granted immediate entry into their homes and will be given their complete attention. But that is nothing compared to the access I have to the throne of God. What a privilege we have in prayer. Now, considering this great privilege, how should we pray? Well, first, we should pray in faith. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Not with arrogance, assuming that we will receive everything we ask for, but with faith, with confidence. Confidence that God hears our prayers and answers them according to his will. John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, I want you to notice those words, according to his will, he heareth us. See, some Christians pass right over those words. If I ask anything, God gives it to me. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said, if I ask anything according to the will of God, he heareth me. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, which is in his will, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So pray in faith. Secondly, pray with consistency. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. Anytime I tell kids, I'll give you merit money if you memorize a verse. There's two verses they memorize. Jesus wept. And pray without ceasing. That's the first two they'll always memorize. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. This, of course, does not mean that you must pray 24 hours a day. 
None of us here could possibly fulfill such a directive. What this does mean, however, is never to stop praying, never to give up praying. Never give up praying for the salvation of your loved ones. Never give up praying for Christ's return. Never give up praying for your home and your family. Never give up praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So to improve our fellowship with God, we must pray. Then secondly, we must study. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. An intimate relationship assumes close personal knowledge. And to be in fellowship with God certainly involves having knowledge of God's word. A few years back, some of you might remember this, we had an adult activity one, one night. And we played the marriage game. Any of you, were any of you here for that? You remember that? We had, uh, I think it was Pastor and Mrs. Smith, Larry and Janet Jefferson, and they, they finagled my wife and I into that thing. And the men had to leave, and they asked the women questions, and we had to come back and answer them. Then the women left, and they asked us questions, and, and they, then when they came back, they had to answer them. You've seen that game on TV before, the, the newlywed game, I think it was called. And intimate relationship assumes personal knowledge, right? You would think you know a lot of things. Well, we found out we didn't know a whole lot at all about each other. Let me back this point up with some scripture tonight. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You see the personal knowledge involved in fellowship with God? Psalm 119 verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. And Job in Chapter 23 and verse 12 of his book states, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What more needs to be said? Unfortunately, I fear the vast majority of Christians today, the only time their Bible is opened is at church. Today, people are experts at navigating the Internet while they are novices at navigating through their Bibles. And we must spend time in study in the Word of God. To improve our fellowship with God, let us become people of prayer. Let us become people of the Word, of study. And then thirdly, if we want to improve our fellowship with God, we must serve. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, John writes, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. We must serve the Lord, and we must do so now, while there is time. 
Here the Lord spoke of a night in which no man can work. This is the night of death in the grave. This is the night of of, of sickness and disease. This is the night of apostasy and apathy. And if you are going to serve the Lord, you must do so now. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon states, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Far too many believers today have left off serving God. I've heard just about every excuse in the book, by the way, for not getting involved in serving God. I've heard the excuse, well, weekends are the only time I have off. Well, that's the only time the preacher has off, too. But he serves the Lord. I've heard people say, I can't speak in front of people. Well, if I remember right, Moses had that same complaint. And God took care of that. Some people say, well, I have a family. Well, bring them along. They might actually enjoy it. In Luke chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, we read, And they all with one consent began to make excuse. First said unto him, I have, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And he's the only guy with a legitimate excuse. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, you will never find the time to serve the Lord. Did you hear what I said? You're never going to find time to serve God. Just serve him. Just make time. Serve God and then look for time to do other things. And get your family involved. If you get your family involved, you can spend quality time together while you're serving the Lord. We need to serve him. This is the duty of man. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In the end, only the things we have done for God will matter. Only the things that were done according to his will and his purpose. Let me make a statement. If you are going to serve God, do it today. Never put off until tomorrow what you know to do today. Let us serve God. Let us serve him first in humility. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, we read, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. What a privilege it is to serve God. Whether you have opportunity to preach behind this pulpit, greet people as they come in the door, place a glass of cold water on the table for myself, Or the pastor, mow the lawn, clean the building, teach Sunday school, teach the pioneer clubs, or sit in the pews and give a hearty amen to the preacher every now and then. Serve him. It is a privilege to serve God. And great responsibility comes with your service. I've never been able to get over the fact that God saved me. And I hope I never become 
haughty or proud in myself. James chapter 4 and verse 6, we read, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. It is a privilege to serve God. And we must, in our humility, see the importance. And we must come before God and say, Thou Art worthy, O Lord, and serve him in humility. And then secondly, serve him with confidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, we read, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We must serve the Lord with confidence, knowing that the Lord will work out his will in our lives. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Confidence will lead to courage, and courage will lead to commitment. We must serve God if we will have fellowship with him. Time does not allow me to say all the things I could say about this subject matter tonight. We must close. But before I do, let me ask, how many ingredients are you missing tonight? How many things that the Lord has encouraged us and and, and told us that must be a part of our life? What are we leaving out of our life? Is your prayer life what it should be? Do you read and study your Bible as you should? Are you serving God with your time and your talents and your treasure? Do you walk in the Spirit, yielded and separated unto His purpose? Do you worship God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? Now, I realize that tonight, once again, as I said Wednesday night, I know I'm preaching to the choir. But I would dare say that none of us here can say that we are all that we can be or all that we should be for the Lord in our lives. May the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts tonight. May the Holy Spirit show us our needs Show us the areas of our life that we are neglecting, that we are pushing out, and help us to put all the ingredients together, all the ingredients, so that our life will look like this and not like this. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love for us. I'm overwhelmed tonight, Lord, when I think about how much you love me. And Lord, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your mercy. We certainly don't deserve your grace. But you love us. And you've given us all these things that we need to do, not so that we, we, we have a miserable life, but Lord, you desire that we have an abundant life. And these are the ingredients that will make our life full and fruitful. So help us as your children to 
to take all the ingredients in the Christian life and, and place every one of them into our life. I pray you bless our pastor as he travels. We miss him. We ask that you bring him back safely and quickly. And then, Lord, we can serve in this place, united, together. We can go forward and do your will. Bless us tonight. Holy Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Help us to change those things in our life that must be changed. Help us to yield ourselves to you. Submit to you you, so that you can guide us and lead us. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our